I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Scott Eklund with our post-NFL draft podcast, which started on Thursday with only one Husky selected, but uh, quite a bit of action there in round two. But John Ross going number nine overall to Cincinnati. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise, Scott. Yeah, I would be one of those people. I am. I, I want to state up front, I am very happy for John Ross. He is He's a great kid. He's a hard worker. He's a very talented kid. But when you're 5'11 and 190 pounds, and yes, he does run a 4'2'2", but he had the histories of the shoulders and the knee injuries and everything like that, I just thought he was a huge reach in the top 10. I thought maybe he'd fit into the top 25 somewhere and definitely would be a first rounder, mainly because of his speed more than anything. But uh, just a reach in my opinion. But uh, honestly, it's a great spot for him. I think he could be successful with Cincinnati with A.J. Green on one side, with Tyler Eifert taking up stuff in the middle. So teams aren't going to be able to roll their coverages toward John Ross as much as they might with some of these other guys that went early in other years. So um, I think he has a chance to be successful. I think he's a bit of a reach for Cincinnati, but Cincinnati obviously saw something that I didn't in him. You know, we'll talk about fit a little bit later, but I think fans get caught up in names they're familiar with and they don't look at the big picture. And I think a lot of the success that athletes have is fit. When you take, um, you know, and I've said this before, I was always a big one to wonder if Marcus Tuiasosopo had went to the San Diego Chargers instead of going to Oakland and Drew Brees had gone to Oakland, would their careers have been different at the time? I think a lot of it has to do with fit. And when you send John Ross to Cincinnati, where he doesn't have to be a number one, where you can just send him deep and put that, you know, spread the field with him. And then you're going to open it up for AJ Green and then uh, Tyler Eifert, the, um, uh, yeah, the tight end. I just think John Ross does so much more for that offense than maybe some other teams that would have drafted him down in the 20s. So it's all about fit and A.J. Green. How tall is How big is A.J. Green? He's at least 6'3", if not 6'4". He's a monster. Yeah, he's I, a big guy. He's a big guy, you know. So I think it's a great fit for Cincinnati. I think it's a great fit for John Ross. He's not going to be thrown in and expected to be that number one guy right off the bat because he's got two other – options there with Carson Palmer you know and they had a good draft as well so I think it's a great spot for John Ross whether it's high or not sometimes you've got to take the best guy to fit you and you know Cincinnati thought that's what they needed that's what would fit and they wouldn't have a chance with him uh you know in the second round so uh I thought it was a great uh fit for Cincinnati myself yeah I you know I mean it's all what I what I kind of said in in my uh analysis as well I I think Cincinnati gets a good kid that they can plug in and, and have be a asset to their offense. But John Ross has a situation where he doesn't have to be the number one guy going in. And uh, he's got a chance to be a number two. I'm sure he's going to be battling people. I haven't uh, researched who he's going to be battling for that other uh, second wide receiver spot. But make no mistake, John Ross is in about as good a position as you can be drafted in the top ten. Because usually top ten guys are getting taken by teams that aren't very good. Cincinnati's a pretty good team and pretty talented. And they have a quarterback. Yes, they do. <laughs> that always helps. Yes, it does. Yeah, uh, the first round went without any other Huskies picked, but it didn't take long in the second with Kevin King being the number one pick in the second round, which I think in a lot of people's mind, I'd rather be the number one pick in the second round than the last pick in the first round. Okay, and that would be because? Well, there again, you know, you make your money on your second contract. In the NFL, a first-round draft pick signs a five-year contract, a second-round 
uh, draft pick uh, signs a four-year contract. So after his second or after his third year, he's going to get that contract extension if he plays as most expect, you know, where, again, if you're uh, a first-round draft pick, you're a year later. So you're a year further away from that second contract. So uh, Green Bay, a lot of people. A lot of people thought that Seattle might want to pick him in the first round, but uh, Green Bay, who also had a need for a running back, jumped up and took Kevin King. Yeah, and I would I would say I understand your point, and I don't disagree with that that argument that it is better. But in the long run, I mean, you want to go in that first round because you get a higher signing bonus and things like that. But you also um, you're never guaranteed that second contract. You could blow out a knee. You could just sure. go down the tank. You could just not be a good fit or for whatever. So um, you always want to get the money as soon as possible and as early as possible, but I understand the argument. That being That's said, fun. Kevin King goes to a team that really could use a cornerback. He's, he, you know, It's still another good team that you're going to. You're not going to a bad team, so you're not going to be counted on to be the number one guy. I would have loved to see him end up at the, with the Seattle Seahawks. I thought he would have been a great fit on the other side of uh, Richard Sherman, and, and the Seahawks definitely have a need at – uh, as a, at a starting cornerback spot, so I thought he would have been a perfect fit, and I was kind of disappointed uh, the Seahawks dropped down. They didn't get Cam, um, uh, the guy Cameron uh, Robinson from uh, uh, Alabama, who I thought would also have been a good fit, but I wanted Kevin King to go to the Seahawks, and it just didn't happen. Long, athletic, super fast, has that attitude. You know, I mean, he's got everything you want in a cornerback, and I think Green Bay got a steal because he is a first-round talent. Yeah, you know, one of the things about this draft, and when you take a look at it, you know, a lot of people screaming for Seattle to take an offensive lineman. Not a good year for offensive no. line in the draft. What was only two taken in the first round? Yes, two in the first round. Uh, the guy from Wisconsin, Ramchick, and uh, there was one other one, and I don't remember it off the top of my Terrible. head, but yeah, there was only two guys. Yeah, just not a very good year for offensive linemen. Kind of. And the Ramchek guy didn't go until the very last pick of the first round, too. So you could have been looking at one guy in the first round. Yeah, and scouts I talked to said this may be the deepest uh, group of corners in ever. the NFL ever. You know, so many corners. And, you know, I hate want, don't want to get on the Seahawks a little bit, but, you know, you may not agree with what Seattle did, but I think it's important that you at least have an understanding their interior pass rush and their defensive line was really, really weak. And if they hadn't taken the guy they got, the next guy down the road where they could have got, they were going off a cliff to fill that need. Mm -hmm. They didn't take Kevin King. They knew that down the road, as deep as this draft was at that position, they knew that they would be able to get somebody where, you know, Kevin King may be an A, um, you know, the guy they got, uh, you know, uh, Shaq Griffin was a, probably, you know, uh, a B where on interior defensive line where this guy may have been an A minus, the next guy down the list was a D. That's how yeah, much of it. McDowell, was. yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's what they did. But, you know, Kevin King in such a deep, deep, look at how many corners went in front of Kevin King. Oh, I know, look, I know. You know, it's a ton. So I understand it, you know, you may not agree with it, but at least have an understanding, but good for Kevin King. Yes, very uh, good situation for him. Yeah, you know, and the surprising one to me was, uh, you know, Arizona uh, with Buda Baker. Not that they took him. They traded up to get him. Yeah, you they know, like him. They like they him like a lot. Him yeah. They liked him a lot, you know. So it, I, think it, I think it's telling when a team trades up 
specifically when you're targeted. Yeah, and he was taken only three spots behind Kevin King, so he was taken in the what the fourth selection in the second round. So um, talent, you know, we all know Buda Baker's talents. I don't need to give you all the superlatives and talked about his his career here. If you're listening to this podcast, you know how important and how very good. Buda Baker was at the University of Washington. That being said, you know, he's a little bit undersized for the typical safety. So a lot of people, I think, were trying to figure out where he could fit. I think early on, there, there's been some talk about the fact that he could play some nickel corner as he eases his way into the regular secondary, into a regular safety spot. I think ultimately, Buda Baker's best position will probably be free safety. I don't think he's physical enough to play in the box. Plus, they have Dayon Buchanan down there, former Washington State guy who's really uh, excelled down there. So uh, I could see Buda Baker moving into that free safety spot in a year or two and being, you know, a lot of people want to con- uh, compare him to Earl Thomas. I just don't see him being as thick as Earl Thomas is. Ed Reed is a guy that I've always kind of compared him to. He's got those ball skills. He might not be the interception machine that uh, Ed Reed was, but he'll go up and he'll at least be able to knock the ball away. He'll be right in coverage, right where he needs to be. He's cerebral. He's got the athleticism to cover sideline to sideline. You know, he's a guy who can do it all for you in that back end. And I, I that's ultimately where I think that uh, Buda Baker will make his money once he eases his way into the system. And Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Cardinals, when they showed him on TV, he was fired up to get Buda. He was absolutely fired up. Yep, he was. Yeah, so uh, Kevin gets to, I mean, uh, Buddha gets to go down to the sun. Kevin, you better get the hand warmers ready in Green Bay. So. Oh, it's not that bad. I'm sure they'll be, I'm sure uh, Buddha will be giving him a hard time about that. Yeah. But Kevin, Kevin won't care. Mm-hmm. Kevin won't care. Kevin's, Kevin's making money. He's good. Yeah. He's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sidney Jones, uh, middle of the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles, and a lot of mock drafts have it, had Philadelphia taking him in the first round with the 14th pick. So I think Philadelphia getting an absolute steal in Sidney Jones in the uh, round two. Yeah, a- absolute steal. I mean, there was arguments that Sidney Jones could have been the first guy off of the off of the, the board as far as corners were concerned. Um, Marcus Lattimore, I believe, the kid out of Ohio State, was the number one guy. And they had Sidney Jones equal with him all throughout uh, the, the offseason during the combine and everything like that until the unfortunate uh, incident at Washington's Pro Day last rep. Sidney Jones blows out his Achilles, and, and he's basically done for the for the offseason. And most people uh, think he'll be fully recovered by the time uh, the season starts. He, My guess is Philadelphia probably won't put him out there outside of the starting spot. He'll be more of a nickel guy, maybe even a dime, and work his way into it. And by halfway through the season, I can almost guarantee as long as he's healthy – and fully recovered from that Achilles injury. And a lot of people say it takes about a year to a year and a half before you feel 100% right. Uh, but if you, but if, if we go halfway through the season, so we'll go th- through the end of October, um, I think Sidney Jones will be a starter for Philadelphia in their secondary because they definitely need help there. Yeah, doctors, you know, that uh, had worked with Sidney were sending letters to the NFL teams, all 32 NFL teams. Uh, with his progress and said that he should be ready to go, you know, middle of September, early October, um, you know, he'll be able to be able to do the things, whether he's fully recovered by then, that's a whole different story. But I still think it's just an outstanding pick for Philadelphia. And by the way, that setting in Philadelphia was awesome. Oh, for yeah. The- yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. some of it was a little, 
um, over the top with the you know orangutan making the selection and doing the golf course thing. But the 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 moment of the draft that was my favorite part, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, was Drew Pearson, former Dallas Cowboy wide receiver, getting up there and taunting the Philadelphia faithful who just booed him off the stage. He loved it. That was just fuel for Drew Pearson, by the oh, way. Oh, he loved it. He loved every second of it. It was fun. Uh, Elijah Qual is going a little later than so many had thought, but uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, some people real close to uh, Elijah. Uh, was it a mistake for him to come out early? Absolutely not. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I I can see the arguments on either side of it. I think it's. I don't want to. I don't. You know, I don't want to accuse where people are coming from in their hearts, but um, I, I think it's selfish of Husky fans to say it was a mistake because he should have stayed and never gotten his degree and things like that. The guy can get his degree anytime he wants. You know, all he has to do is take some online courses. I think he only has a few credits left. I actually thought he had his degree, but I know he was very close to it. So, um, you know, he he went at number two fourteen to the Philadelphia Eagles. What is that? Fifth round, right? It was fifth yeah. round. And, and um, you know, he's he's not going to be asked to come in and start right away. And that's another big situation. It's it's where he can work his way up. It's like it's almost going to be like a redshirt season, but he gets to play and gets paid, you know. And, and realistically, Elijah Qualls is that tumbleweed blown in the wind, man. He needs to he needs to constantly be in movement and in motion. And I and I just don't know if he felt like he had anything else to do here at the University of Washington. Nah, I mean, you know Elijah. I mean, do you really think he cares? If somebody looked at him and said, you know, you can come back to school and be a higher draft pick and make more money. I mean, he's just going to look at you like, yeah, so? Yeah, but I'll be a year later. You know? Yeah. And yeah. and the other thing is, too, he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a kid. Does From everything I'm aware of, doesn't have a girlfriend right now. He's single. He can just get a you know a small condo there out, out in uh, out in uh, Philadelphia. Just work, focus on his career, and then uh, you know and and start storing that money away. And and because this is a guy who came from some pretty bad um, uh, situations, you know when when you know he was there. Were, he he's been upfront about it too. There were times when he was almost getting involved in gangs and things like that, and football saved him. And everything like that, and I, I just think he's a guy who's going to appreciate where he's going, and he, you're going to get max effort from this guy. The reason why he fell, I have to believe, the reason why he fell is he's got short arms and he's kind of squatty, but he's athletic. He can play um, outside if you need him to. Washington had him as a stand-up pass rusher at times. He can do it all for that for a team up front. He's very versatile, and so I think you'll see uh, Philadelphia be really happy with what versatility he brings to their uh, defensive front. He got drafted, lifelong dream. He's going to Philadelphia with Sydney. He's going to get paid. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that's and, all that can what Philadelphia is going in the right direction. This is not a team that's that's a bad, that's in a bad way. This is a team that, that he's going to a very good situation, and they, they're a team who could be a team to be reckoned with here in a few years once uh, their quarterback, is it Carson Wentz, I think is his yeah. name? Yeah. Uh, you know, once he's he's seasoned as a as a passer and everything like that, they get their offense right under Doug Peterson. I think that team is going to be a team to be reckoned with here in the near future. That's it for the guys drafted into the NFL. Some free agent signings. Uh, Joe Mathis uh, is he with the Titans? You know what? I meant to do this before we podcasted, and I forgot <laughs> to do that. So uh, that's my mistake. I was uh, counting on you to to know those things. Uh, that was my mistake. 
But, uh, you know, uh, Joe Mathis, I mean, th this is a guy who would have um, eventually uh, been, I think, a, you know, fourth, fifth rounder um, had he not uh, had the injury issues that he had. So, um, you know, I, I just um, – actually, it's the Houston Texans is okay. where he's headed. So, um, you know, that that's a great situation for him because he'll play behind Jadavian Clowney. He'll be out there um, as a pass rusher, but also as a true linebacker. I think that's probably where they're going to want him to play. And, uh, you know, as long as he heals up, and, and um, I, I, I think Joe Mathis may stick uh, with Houston, but if he doesn't stick with Houston, give it a year or two, and he'll be on a football, he'll be on an NFL roster somewhere. Terrell Daniels, I believe, signed with the Indianapolis Colts. Yes, he did, yeah. And I, I love Daryl. He's a great kid. He was always good with us. Never did anything, uh, you know, to, um, to you know, make us question him as a person or anything like that. The biggest question with Darrell Daniels is the fact that um, he has inconsistent hands. He's just not a natural pass catcher. He's a very good blocker. He's an outstanding athlete, and he loves to just grind and hit hit people. And um, I think that's something that that will serve him well down the down the road because he's going to have to make a team as a special teamer, I think, early on. And then maybe even work, you know, you know, tight ends like him should do their best to work on long snapping. You can have a career in the NFL as a long snapper for 20 years, making an average of close to a million dollars a year. And, you know, at, by, by the time it's all said and done, and uh, that's a guy who I think, you know, he should figure out a way. The, the more versatile you are in the NFL, the more likely, likely you are to play and stick with a with a team, and I, I think that's a good situation for him if he learns how to long snap or whatever. But he's going to have to make a team as a special teamer, and then hopefully, as he gets better and 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 uh, has has um, really worked on his receiving skills and route running and all those different things, maybe down the road he'll be a guy who can catch some passes. And the other thing hurting Daryl Daniels is uh, as deep as the uh, defensive back class was this year. Uh, tight end class is as good as it's. Yeah, it was very good. Yes, it was a very yeah. good tight end class, and there was only. And I mean, heck, Jacob or uh, Jake Butt, the um, guy from Michigan, wasn't drafted until the fifth round, and most people thought that he would have been a uh, you know possible first rounder. His issue was he got hurt in the bowl game. Wouldn't he blow out his knee? I think yeah. in the bowl game. And, and stuff like that. So that obviously was going to cause him to fall a little ways. But I think a lot of teams said, well, you know, Jacob Butt is very good, but we can get a guy that's going to be able to play right away instead of maybe having to have this guy sit out for the year um, and then get him in 2018. So I think that, I mean, like you said, it, it was a very deep tight end group and, uh, and uh, Darrell Daniels, that also hurt him as well. Yeah, uh, Jake Eldenkamp going to the Los Angeles Rams. I thought he might show up at Denver with Coach Strasser down there. Yeah, I thought there was a chance of that too. Uh, but, you know, Denver took a couple offensive linemen, and, and I actually um, am friends with Coach Strasser still on Instagram. And he was posting, he and his wife had their anniversary <laughs> this weekend. So um, I don't know if he uh, uh, participated much in it since he's the assistant offensive line coach and not the head offensive line coach. But, um, He's, you know, I, I thought that would have been a good fit. Um, Jake Eldrin Camp is, it, he is what he is. You know, he was a solid guy for the University of Washington, but his big biggest problem was he cannot handle the big, athletic, physical guys 
um, on the interior and, and you know one on one. And in the NFL, you're asked to at least handle that every now and then, and he couldn't do it. And um, I think if he had been an elite athlete, maybe te- a team would have taken a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round. But seeing that he's not an elite athlete, that he's just you know he's a guy who grinds you, a lunch pail guy, whatever you know superlative you want to use for him, whatever cliche you want to use to describe him. Um, you know, I, I would just say, you know, he's going to have to be a guy. He, my guess is Jake Elton Camp will end up on a practice squad somewhere and uh, just have to work on that way because it's very tough as an undrafted free agent to make it in the NFL onto an active NFL roster right away. Hopefully he does. I hope he does. He's smart. He's, he's a good player and he likes to grind it out. But uh, I think the odds are stacked against him at least early on. Jake Eldrincamp, all-conference left guard, graduate of the Foster Business School at University of Washington, Pac-12 <laughs> Scholar Athlete of the Year with a degree in finance. They may stash him on the practice squad just to manage money for the for guys on the team. Yeah, so. he could be a money manager for NFL players. Who knows? Yeah, he is an incredibly bright guy with an incredibly bright future off the field. And there's not a lot of guys you can say that about, but uh, he's a home run. I mean... He will. He he'll have a six-figure offer from Wall Street, uh, you know, waiting when he decides to hang it up right away. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's like I said, he's going to be just fine. Some of the other guys, you know, there's a difference. You know, where this world of Twitter guys are announcing that they've signed with teams, but uh, you know, guys like Brandon Beaver and even like Deontay Cooper, those guys did sign. They've accepted an invite to try out. There's a difference between being signed as a free agent. And it being signed for, uh, you know, a tryout. Yeah, it's completely but, different. Know, it's like the committable offer and non-committable offers. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you'll ha- they'll have a tryout where they'll have a day tryout, and they'll bring in 50 guys, you know, and one or two of those guys might get signed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to come to camp. But um, I think they can only have, uh, is it 95? Yeah, it's something like, it's in the 90s. I don't know the exact number. I think it's 95 guys that they can have signed at any one time. So those spots are coveted, you know, uh, you know, so that's why they have the tryouts and, you know, guys like Brandon Beaver and Deontay Cooper and those type of guys, uh, they're getting invites to try out. Yeah. And, you know, Brandon Beaver, I think, surprised a lot of people at Washington's pro day. I think he had a very good pro day. And I think that's what has, cause he wasn't even a starter at the university of Washington. So, uh, you know, a consistent starter. I think he started a few games, but he, he wasn't your actual starting uh, safety, um, and, you know, over the last couple of years. And uh, the fact is that he uh, really impressed some people with his athleticism and the way he ran around and did things at the pro day. And I think that's why he's getting a tryout with the team. Yeah. Um, NFL draft wrapped up. Uh, you know, coaches head out on the road recruiting this week, Scott. Yeah, they're, uh, all of the assistant coaches are out on the road. Uh, Pete, uh, Chris Peterson uh, cannot uh, go out on the road during the uh, during the spring. Um, I I'm still up in the air. I don't because I've heard about teams still doing satellite camps. I don't know if Washington's doing any or not. They they had had some scheduled, but I don't know if uh, that's still happening or not with the with the uh, NCAA rulings and things like that. I think. They're not finalizing everything until June when the when the ADs meet. So I think a lot of teams are going ahead with their uh, 
uh, satellite camps, and Washington will probably do at least a few if that's really the case. So that being said, all the coaches are out on the road. I know a couple headed down to Texas this week, Coach Malloy and Coach Kwiatkowski, I believe, are down in Texas. I think uh, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Lake is down in L.A. and uh, Keith Bonifa is down in the Inland Empire. I'll have as close to, you know, I've been talking to a lot of recruits, high school and junior college coaches who are going to be seeing Husky coaches out on the road. I've been getting a, a map of uh, where the coaches are supposedly supposed to be during the next, you know, couple weeks. And, and uh, I'll hopefully have at least the start of that tomorrow when I post my blog. Yeah, just a few things to what to expect. There's busy times during the year. There's slow times during the year. Uh, the, the problem is, is when we're busy and you guys are getting information through a fire hose, when things slow down a little bit, a lot of people are expecting the same level of information flow. It's just not realistic, specifically this time of year. This tends to be a little bit slow. There will be times, you know, two, three, four day periods where it's busy as hell. But then we're going to have times, you know, a week or two weeks where there's just not a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So you can expect there to be some, you know, uh, busy times and also some lulls in our coverage because when there's not much going on, there's not much going on. You know, we're experiencing that a little bit in basketball right now as well with the Lorenzo Romar stuff and the Mike Hopkins hire. The news was fast and furious, and you couldn't keep up with it. But, uh, you know, Hopkins is still trying to figure out some things. He's out of the road recruiting, evaluating. He's thrown out some 2019 offers, which, you know, don't mean a whole lot. And, you know, the thing that a lot of people don't understand is when we go through a coaching change, and we've been through, what, seven on the football program? Mm -hmm. It takes a while for coaches to develop the relationships, not only with the media, but with the boosters and sources, you know, and, you know, the coaches aren't the best source out there, but coaches talk to high school coaches, coaches talk to boosters and other people, and a lot of those are great sources for us. Hopkins hasn't developed those relationships yet, including with us. So sometimes it takes a little bit for us to get our foot in the door, not only with the coaches, you know, and people around the program, but the high school coaches, they need to do the same thing. And we've had this for a long, long time with football. And uh, so, you know, basketball, you know, the coaching staff and the relationships with Lorenzo had been cemented for 15 years. You know, we pretty much knew everybody. But we're starting from scratch again to get our information, you know, on a lot of basketball stuff. It doesn't happen overnight. Then in addition, what the coaches are doing. They're not exactly keen on us knowing what's going on. So, you know, you know, it's kind of a cat and mouse game uh, and it always has been, always will be. So you understand that, Scott. I know you do. Yeah, it's it been third. I'm entering my 13th year of covering uh, recruiting at, at uh, for dogman.com. And I have a blast doing it. I love it. Um, you know, the, the thing is, so much has changed in that time. Kids are making most of their announcements on on uh, Twitter. They're doing most of their stuff on their own they're controlling it so we don't have as many you know we we try to interview kids but we don't need to interview them every day when they make a new announcement it's just not going to happen so uh, well, the other you know we, we just try to give you guys as much analysis as possible we gather the numbers and things like that and by the way kim you said we're, we're going on coach number seven it's actually only five um okay. it, it might feel like seven considering tyrone willingham was as bad as he was but um you know i mean we had new heisel gilby willingham Sarkeesian and now Peterson. So we're, we're at five, not seven. <laughs> and Lambo. Well, yeah, but Lambo was before that. So <laughs> no, we had Lambo. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, I, I love, and actually, didn't he just celebrate his 75th uh, birthday? 
I think so. Yeah, I just celebrated one, his 75th birthday. So congratulations to him. He's a great Husky, and and uh, the reason why Washington ha- is able to hold uh, hoist one of those banners up um, over, at Husky Stadium. One more thing in recruiting for those who have children that are teenagers and high school. The biggest thing that I think the biggest change over the last five years specifically, kids don't answer their telephones. No. They don't. <laughs> and, and if you've got if you've got a high school kid or a millennial, they don't answer their phones. If they don't know who it is, they don't answer their phone. Yeah. So, you know, we, we do a lot of texting and we have to do things a lot of other ways. So it's not as easy. Like I said, if we could just make a phone call, have them answer and tell us everything that's going on. But there again, they've got people coaching them what to say and what not to say. Yeah, so and, and the coaches that they're dealing with from the University of Washington, USC, Oregon, they're all coaching him too. Marlon Tui Peloto, he was coached by USC, did not reveal his interest in USC whatsoever. Yeah, so uh, we're pretty good at it, but uh, it's not just a matter of picking up a phone and making a phone call. We wish it was that easy. So anyways, um, some other stuff going on on the site maybe a little bit later this week. We'll talk to you guys a little bit about some things coming up for the upcoming season specifically with the site. But uh you know, until then, uh, anything last minute we need to add, Scott? No, I think, you know, we're, we're going to have the spring reviews, the position uh, spring reviews uh, that uh, Chris Fetter started. Uh, we'll be posting those here over the next uh, week or so. And uh, so just expect those. I'll have some blogs. I have gotten a hold of a couple recruits. Um, we talk about it right now that uh, they don't answer their phones. I've actually gotten a few to answer their phones. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll have a couple interviews up here in the next uh, few days as well. So just keep an eye out for it. There's a lot that's still going to be coming your way. It just might not be exactly what you're looking for where you want, you know, 15 player interviews and which guys are coming up and things like that. It's, that's just not where we're at in the cycle at this point. Hey, from all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Scott Eklund. Go dogs.